from the Lake Erie shores of Northeast Ohio. Cleveland! Cleveland is a city of champions once again. Since 2012. Welcome to Panel Scanners, episode 78. Um, as always, sitting across from me is Darren. Oh, <laughs> fitting. <laughs> and to my right, chuckling lightly, is Tim. <laughs> Where's the chicken? <laughs> oh, wow, jeez. Did you eat your mic? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, jumping in from earlier this month, we're going to start tonight by talking about The Dark Knight. Ten years later, The Dark Knight. Tim, how about you bring us into this? Yeah, I I was stunned to actually find out that it was uh, ten years ago. I, crazy. I mean, uh, this was something that it kind of took people by surprise. It, actually, The Dark Knight um, actually... It got a lot of hype uh, right before it came out. But uh, leading up to it, Batman Begins, no one really... That kind of flew under the radar. And it's like, oh, another Batman movie? We're going to kind of catch this, you know, check this out. And then all of a sudden, it it blew up. They're like, wow, this is actually really good. And people saw it. And so then, you know, the hype machine started. And then... Uh, with the casting of Heath Ledger as the Joker was actually kind of a big backlash, and um, but here's you know went on to win the Oscar and that it it, it was amazing it, it really was so dude, <laughs> what do you guys think I mean I remember I remember I mean jumping back to Batman Begins that was after Batman and Robin like I was scared to go see a Batman movie. You know, part of the thing with that is um, the reason that got made is because of Batman and Robin was so bad, so bad. that Warner Brothers just kind of let that franchise fall apart. And Christopher Nolan came in and he said, yeah, I'd like to do this Batman movie. And they Warner Brothers really wasn't interested. They kind of let him do whatever the heck he wanted. And that's half the reason we got this great Batman movie to begin with and when that took off then you know they you know kind of gave him the reins yeah go ahead do what you want so I thought that was I thought that was kind of cool how that came about yeah because I mean I when I went and saw Batman Begins I I remember leaving surprised and feeling like oh man I just I saw an actual Batman movie that was great and then the Dark Knight was announced and I was like awesome another one and then they said Heath Ledger was going to play the Joker. And I was like, you're kidding me. The 10 things I hate about you. <laughs> yeah, that's who I thought, too. A Knight's Tale pretty boy is going to play the Joker. This is going to be a train wreck. But I'll go see it because there's no other superhero movies going on. <laughs> well, yeah. well played, sir. That's not true. <laughs> that's I, Iron Man was the same summer, buddy. Yeah. The MCU saw, kicked off. But I saw I but at that time that was it. And I saw I think I saw Iron Man after Dark Knight. I can't remember time frame. Mm. But regardless, I, that would Iron be Iron Man came up. But first. we didn't have twenty movies coming yeah, down the pike. Right. Yeah, like it's it would have stayed in the theaters a lot longer because there weren't six other superhero movies. But regardless, 
I remember going and seeing it and being very apprehensive and just being absolutely floored by one Heath Ledger's performance as Joker because I was not expecting what we got at all. Right. Um, and I think it was still to this day one of the most well done dark superhero movies um, and kind of gives me a bar to reach when you're trying to go dark but not so dark that it's not enjoyable and, and I think that they did it very 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 well and um, I just I don't know I, I remember being unbelievably pleased after seeing it and um, I just I, I don't know it, it, it was hard to fill the those shoes afterward for that type of feel for a movie um, again Iron Man like you said it came out the same year um, and Iron Man again fantastic movie and it started the whole Marvel thing but I don't even think I appreciated that as much as I appreciated The Dark Knight at the time I probably would have said that The Dark Knight is one the better movie and two the thing that's going to really lead into something great if you told me that iron man was going to lead into 10 years of fantastic films <laughs> i would have been like it was good but i didn't see that happening if you tell me that the dark knight in 10 years would be making fun of the way batman is portrayed in film i wouldn't believe you um it just that that movie was so good from beginning to end i i loved it um, I haven't seen it in years, to be completely honest with you. But I tried watching it uh, yeah. before this, but I uh, stupid life got in the way. Yeah, same. <laughs> I wasn't able to, it was, to get to it. It was on my short list, but Lindsay wanted to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy, so that happened. And that was nine hours, so... <laughs> Couldn't I squeeze that in? did not quite get the Dark Knight squeezed in. <laughs> no, about, I, go ahead. I just... I don't know. I don't know. Go ahead. Uh, no, I, rem I remember... Uh, this was one of those movies... Um, I pre-purchased tickets for, and our kids were really, really, uh, they were, let's see, my daughter, she was six, and my son was two. So they were in uh, daycare. So that was one of those things where my wife and I, we had to, uh, we actually took a half day at work to go, you know, we met at the movie theater to see that movie. Wow. You know, we made, it was that big a deal, you know, because they, to make an uh, event of this thing. Um, and I remember coming out of it, um, and Maria's like, well, what'd you think? And I told her, I go, I don't know. I, I, I go, there was so much to process. Mm -hmm. I, w I came out of that movie, like, in shock stunned i mean talk about quality it wasn't until the second time i went and saw it like probably like three days later um i took my dad and that and that's when i was really able to sit down and process things and the uh the story was just incredible i mean and yeah heath ledger was uh fantastic you know they they got top no one knew that he was going to be that no, fantastic. No. I'm sure Christopher Nolan knew. Um, he uh, and this was part of his thing that he uh, tipped to Donner in those Superman movies. He said, "You know, I'm going to cast excellent, you know, actors in this uh, 
movie, you know, and like even for you know supporting roles, like you know in Superman they uh, um, for Jor-el, um, gosh, I'm blank, and uh, Marlon Brando. And, uh, you know, so, like, Michael Caine for Alfred. And you're like, really? Okay, yeah. you know. Um, and it was just something to, to behold. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that, though, the thing I will say that uh, bothers me about this, that movie to this day, and actually the whole um, Nolan's Batman trilogy are the action scenes, the fight scenes, they're just so choppy and they're so hard to follow the action. They come, you get these fast cuts and these close up cuts, and then you're, you know, cutting to someone else, and it's very difficult to see what's going on, especially in that end sequence um, where the, um, with the SWAT team, um, you know, in that uh, building, in that, the going through I can't tell who's who who you know what he's doing and that would that was started right with Batman Begins when they first showed what is that thing I I saw what he was going for like they would only show like a fist or some you know legs and all that but very hard to follow action on that probably my favorite action sequence actually of the Dark Knight is um was it when he was extraditing Lau um oh my gosh that that was fantastic um when he just you know came in flying you know with the wings and he just broke through the window and right into a tumble and started pummeling guys and they actually had a, a far enough shot where i could actually see what was going on boy that scene still gives me chills he's dragging the guy to the end and they you know you know, pull him out of the building on the on the plane. Oh, so fantastic. The the scope of that movie was just it, it was something else. I mean, it was it was almost like um, I try to tell people who were like on the fence of Batman. This is like it's like a crime drama. It, it really it, it's it's like a a heavy crime drama movie where the lead character just happens to be Batman. You could almost, you know, just make Batman a cop. And it'll still, you know, be a decent movie. And it, some of those shots, I wish I had seen uh, some of it in IMAX. Uh, you know, I know he um, shot that opening sequence, the bank robbery in IMAX. And I believe the, uh, is it where the bat pod um, comes out? I think that was shot in uh, IMAX as well. That's probably my big regret. I heard that they were releasing it, re-releasing it in IMAX um, for you know the 10th anniversary. I'm like, oh, great, great. They're only showing it in like four theaters, yeah. like in New York or something like that. So, but um, yeah, it's what a movie. I mean, yeah. well, how about you, Darren? What what did you think when you saw that thing? I don't know if you recall this. I called you right after I saw it and I was upset because I had a horrible, horrible movie going experience. I do remember. Go on. The guy sitting next to me was wearing a Batman Forever shirt and had the worst BO I've ever experienced. Was it Joel Schumacher? It wasn't. He was, nah. a, he was, a, he was an unkempt lad. And the worst BO I've ever experienced in a movie theater 
and the sound cut out and in and out and people kept like yelling for the people to like fix it and then there was like at the end people were angry because they weren't getting like refunds or whatever and it was just a really bad way to experience that movie and it's just like if you you, you could probably catch most movies and still like come out of there but you're going into the dark night as layered as that is and you see it the way I saw it the first time and I think I even got to a point where I was so mad I didn't like the movie and I told you I'm like I don't think I liked it I don't know what happened I don't know what's going on I mean I was so mad and then I told you what happened you're like yeah we're going to see this again yes and I'll tell you what just on a quick aside that is so important how you see a movie. Oh, yeah. It is so important. In fact, so much so that I have a movie theater that is literally three to five minutes from my house that I will not go see movies at because the sound sucks. You're, I'm, you're, I'm like straining to hear um, the sound coming from it. We will literally, for big movies, uh, we'll drive um, about 40 minutes to get to a theater that we know is decent. Well, for me to put in perspective how bad a movie-going experience it was, I am certain that one of the times people were getting really, really upset is when the Joker did his magic trick with the pencil, because when I saw that with you, I had no recollection of that happening. Wow. And think about that. Like, I was like, oh my god! Like, I, did, I saw the movie and didn't remember that at all. That's crazy. So, like, I li- it's so... Uh, it's unfortunate it happened for that because you would like to go into that, like experience that for the first time. But I missed so much of it, and then it's just. And then I saw it the second time, and I was completely blown away. You would, I think, a case can be made. That's the most complete superhero film ever made, bar none. And I mean, you're talking front performances, direction, set, music, everything just worked to it was so such a complete film and it set a standard for superhero films which by the way i think there are two standards and i've said this for a long time for superhero films the avengers first avengers movie is one of the standards Mm -hmm. or the dark knight though you're gonna go those two directions okay so you could say that you know most of i mean all of the marvel movies are going the avengers direction but something like the first season of daredevil went the dark knight's direction yeah um agreed so and you know like the flash definitely go in the marvel direction the avengers direction first the second season of arrow specifically definitely went the dark knight direction um so it set a standard it also set a standard for action films because one of the things that Christopher Nolan doesn't get enough credit for is his hesitation in using CGI when he doesn't need to. And as I recall, there is no CGI effect in that film. Um, in The Dark Knight, there is some in Batman Begins, but not in The Dark Knight. He decided not to use it. Everything there was a practical stunt. Um, the trip, the truck flipping perpendicularly yeah. was... Was it, that happened. They did that. They're blowing up the Brock's candy factory. They did that. Yep. Um, the plane stunt. They did that. I mean, it was old school filmmaking, and it just, the performances. You know, one of the things that gets lost is how great Gary Oldman is. In oh, that. my gosh. Oh, I, mean, I forgot. He's totally overshadowed by Heath Ledger. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're not going to blame him for it, but he's so 
good in that movie. And uh, you know what? Christian Bale's fantastic yep. in that movie. Michael Caine's fantastic in that movie. Everyone, even Eric Roberts, is fantastic in that movie. Um, who was the? You know, I can't even think of his name right now. We haven't seen him really since. I uh, played Harvey Dent. Yes, Aaron Eckert. He's great. Maggie Gyllenhaal. What an upgrade from <laughs> poor. Katie you know Holmes. what? That bothers me. I think it bothers me more for continuity's sake. It really did. That was probably the other big thing that bothered me the most. I think she was purposefully cast aside because she'd become that tabloid sort of Tom Cruise singing. Nolan didn't want that distraction. Is that what you think that's I, what it was? I do think so because it, it bothers me too, but it, it, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't because the movie as a whole is is so layered. She didn't bother me in Batman Begins. You know what I'm saying? I didn't think she bothered me. I thought me, she was fine. I think, that, I think she became this tabloid, it, like, she it, was an early Kardashian. That, that kind of makes sense because at the time they were saying, oh, she has a scheduling conflict because she's making, like, that Mad Money movie oh, with, yeah. like, Queen Latifah or something. I'm like, what? So you're yeah. going to choose that over the Yeah, okay, I'm, whatever. Uh, um, I still think... You know, I've always been a, a person of there's a difference between your favorite and the best, which is why on this podcast we always talk about our favorite because, I don't know, I feel like if we're going to talk about our favorite, specifically when we did artists, are we qualified to say this is a better artist than this guy? No. I don't think we are. Right. Um, so we talk about who are our, our favorites. Perfect example, Tim or Phil and I are extremely big fans of Tim Sale. You are not. Correct. Um, so... And just the fact that I watched this, and it obviously you knew from Batman Begins this is this is in the right hands, but it was so lovingly made. And I did a, as comprehensive of a review as I could of Batman: The Long Halloween uh, for our Halloween episode 2017. So much of that is in this film. Sure. Um, and I was so appreciative of oh, the things that I love about Batman. I was right. I was right all along. How so? Oh, the the, the meeting, the 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 tri the meeting on the on the on the roof oh. about how oh he isn't just some guy who jumps off a roof. No, look, he goes in and he talks to Commissioner Gordon. He's talking to the DA. He's like, they they kind of like we can't. This doesn't work if we don't have this guy. I'll go get him. Well, we can't. No, like, no, 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 no. Don't you worry about it. I will bring him to you. And talking about loud. Yep. All those meetings, all the all the workings, and like how they have this wild card, and you know how they come to slowly recognize like Batman is their instrument of justice, and he is willing to be their instrument of justice because that's the only justice that works in a Gotham City. Now, it does get a little heavy-handed towards sure, the end. Um, and. I the the one thing like I do find the very very tail end of that movie when Batman says call it in I'm the bad guy it's heartbreaking he's like he can't he realizes now how fragile Gotham City is and the entire psyche of that metropolitan area having already almost been blown up and then being saved by a man bat and now they find this guy they can really sort of believe in and he's going to turn out to be the guy that killed all these people and you're like no they will accept me as the bad guy and it's just like the self-sacrifice but then like where gordon is like soliloquizing at the end mm -hmm. there's a really chilling moment where he's just driving away in the bat pot and it just goes dark yep. and there's that like beat of silence and then like the music kicks in 
it's almost too heavy-handed, but at the same time, since chills up your spine. Sure. Um, that's one of the few movies I can mention. I don't think there's a single wasted moment on that in that entire movie. Probably not. No. You think well about thought it. out for sure. But you know what I, I've always thought? It's a graphic novel come to life. It, it yeah. is. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame that they had such an amazing foundation. And I'm, not, and I'm not talking about The Dark Knight Rises here. Dark Knight Rises was, was good. It was fine. Um, yeah. But that it's too bad that they couldn't build off of that foundation. Right. And, it, and it's, it's funny to think that it wasn't so long after that they started this whole experiment of the DCEU with Green Lantern, which is, by the way, quit hiding from it. It's there. Just leave it alone. I mean, if you're going to accept Batman versus Superman, you got to accept that one, too. Um, and it's, I, mean, I guess it, it would have been difficult to then accept Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne interacting with Ryan Reynolds, Hal Jordan, or Henry Cavill's right. Superman because they're so tonally different. But do, do you remember seeing the trailer for Man of Steel playing before The Dark Knight Rises? Where it sure seemed like they were going to go in lockstep with that. Like, they, okay, we, they have set the tone with the Dark Knight trilogy. Oh, they tried. We don't know if he's coming back, but we're definitely, this is this is an extension of that universe. And then I think, I don't know if it's when they, people saw the movie, like, nope, no, it isn't. Sorry. Well, that's why the uh, um, Christopher Nolan was reluctantly made a producer on Man of Steel. Really? He wanted nothing to do with the DCU. He wanted he's these are this is self he wanted everything self-contained. Like this is its own thing. Wanted not he So why was he because I remember him being a producer. Yeah. Right? Why was he? I I I think I got to think they either threw money his way or they begged him type thing cuz you're giving credibility um, with his, because he had such success with uh, those Batman movies, that they wanted to keep that going. And I think, unfortunately, as great as those Batman movies were, Warner Brothers was see they saw what was going on with Marvel, like when Batman, you know, when they kicked off at the same time and they started to build something. They, they already had it too. Yeah. <laughs> it was right there. It was already there. Oh man, it's too bad. It's a shame. Yeah. I can you imagine at the end of Man of Steel if like the very end you would have seen like some sort of like interaction between Christian Bale and Michael Caine, like, hmm, right, maybe there's a reason like people would have lost their minds. But Oh sure. And I, there was a, for a minute there there was a rumor that like he was in the movie. I remember that. That Christian Bale was supposedly in Batman or in the Man of Steel. Like he was going to be in it. I heard that. I heard that he, Christian Bale was actually interested. Yeah. Like he mm -hmm. wasn't totally. It wasn't like a hard no. I'm not going to do this. There was like, mm, you know, maybe. That's too bad. Uh, yeah, I. I don't know. I don't know how you would have made that work or not work. It's. It's, I don't know, it's another one of those what-ifs. But I don't know if, because of that tone from The Dark Knight... Which was lighter. 
than what they've done. Listen, they cracked jokes in that movie. As dark as, as you know, Phil, you were saying yeah. how dark it was, there was a few jokes. And by the way, do you remember the scene where the Joker was about, you know, he was going to enact his plan to, like, basically, what, blow up Gotham City and blow up? They, right. they showed the Gotham City, like, getting evacuated. Like, all right, guys, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, was, they at least gave you the sense that when Batman was going in, there weren't going to be any. There was not going to be a whole lot of collateral damage, and he made sure that was going to happen. Boy, they didn't do that in Man of Steel. Like, oh, that building just fell. I how many people died there? <laughs> I mean, Good the job, Superman. Fifteen seconds it would have taken to show people evacuating a building. Yeah, it's upsetting. Yeah, like in Avengers, where they made sure to do. That. In fact, like Captain America's whole, like most of what Captain America did in the Avengers, like, all right, this is a little bit above my pay grade, so I'm going to make sure these people are safe. I mean, it was brilliant. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was in. Yeah, that was their whole thing. Uh, save the people for the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this question, Tim. Yes. Do you of the two, which do you prefer, Batman Begins or The Dark Knight? I prefer Batman Begins hands so down. Do I. That's so me. Do I I I, underst- I totally get the greatness of The Dark Knight, and I totally understand what people are saying you know how it's superior to me batman begins is a batman movie that's really about batman and i a lot of people don't i i've said this before i love a good origin story i really do i do too i love this was the first movie that really explained what made batman tick why he uh batman begins i'm talking why he did what he did and i thought it was done beautifully One of the things they did that I never considered, and people told, oh, that's always been part of Batman. They are lying. Was in Batman Begins, they finally gave you what I think is the perfect, in some ways the perfect portrayal of Batman, at least for a live action. We've always grown up like, oh, Bruce Wayne is the mask. Batman's through who he is. So they give you Batman. They give you Bruce Wayne, the public persona, and then they give you the guy who he really is. And that's really what it's about right there. He's not really Batman. He does not like, oh, my true face is this mask and this. No, 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 no. He doesn't sleep with that thing on. All right. right. He's not going to eat breakfast cereal in his <laughs> Batman mask. OK, I would. No, he's got. Well, listen, if I had that Adam West <laughs> yeah. mask, I told oh, you. Yeah. But he's got the Batman is his job. And then he's here's this guy who's just like this furious sort of like intellectual and person who just wants everything to be fixed. And he know and he says I got to put the Bruce Wayne out there so no one, you know, throw people off the scent, don't want any people to feel like they come knocking at my door going, "Hey, what's with those injuries there?" "Oh yeah, check out my video of me skiing." Ha <laughs> You know. Right. So, I I thought that was a brilliant move. And it, it's something that like Boy, boy, that just seems to get it right there. That was the first time I ever saw it. Yeah, I was floored by that movie. I mean, we saw it together for the first time. Yeah. And, I mean, coming out of there, we're like, oh, they did it. They they got it right. I mean. They they got it right. It's funny. The, the first one, the second one's a crime drama. The first one's like a horror movie. Yeah. It really is. It's, in a lot of ways, it's like Frankenstein's monster. If you should, you should watch... Uh, you should go back now that you've seen the movie, Phil. The mm-hmm. first teaser trailer for Batman Begins. You would not know it's they. They don't even. You would have no clue that it's a Batman movie until I think the very, very end. I think I remember. I used back then. I watched trailers. Okay. That was before I had this 
it was probably five years ago because even when we started the the podcast i uh was still watching trailers here well, and there i do get your your sentiment mm-hmm. why not to watch trailers because the movies no longer need to be good they don't the trailers need to be good the movies could be crap as long as the trailers are good we're good <laughs> it's the truth i would say about 75 percent of the time if you watch a trailer you know the beginning middle and end of a movie that's a good point and i agree that just it takes it away or like the big reveal from the movie uh, it's the whole Darth Maul double lightsaber. Like, yep. those those moments that if you were in the theater and you saw it for the first time, it makes that much of a difference. Um, if you saw the Ant-Man and Wasp trailers, they show the uh, the Pez dispenser. I, I haven't seen. Oh, well, <laughs> no, I, I've oh, seen the man. trailer. Yeah, they show the Pez dispenser <laughs> being, like, expanded. So the first time you see the Pez dispenser, like, appear in the movie, you're like, well, I know what's going to happen with that. And I saw the trailer because it was before, another, it was before sure. Avengers. So... Like that moment, which could have been such a cool moment, was ruined for me. So, and you know, it's funny. The the Dark Knight, though, is one of those you could probably show nine trailers of that thing, and you wouldn't have gotten yeah, no the way. breadth of what it became. That's a good point. Um, I don't know. It's it's one of those films. I, I think probably it is. You can't. It's almost so good you don't classify it as a great superhero film. You classify it as one of the great films of the last ten years. Yeah, probably one of the great films of the 2000s, the 2000 to 2010. It's got to be in the top five. I mean, I know adjusted for inflation, it is still the top superhero film ever. Many people people were upset that it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, and you know what's funny? They totally overcorrected. You remember what was nominated for Best Picture the next year? Star Trek. Oh, was it really? (laughs) It really was. You go back and look because they expanded it to 10 films. Because I did a little bit of research for that, and they're like, the big crime, people felt like the Dark Knight was not nominated for Best Picture. And I went and looked at the films, and I'm like, well, I didn't see, I don't remember seeing some of those, so I can't really say with any sort of authority. But then the next year, you look at the Best Picture, and there's Star Trek, you're like, son, there was an overcorrection there. And Star Trek was fantastic, but Best Picture? <laughs> yeah, a lot of times action films don't really hit the Best yeah. Picture. Yeah, and well, the Dark Knight, I don't, was it an action movie? Parts? Oh, there was definitely action sequences, but yeah, no, yeah there were some action. Yeah, that. I mean, action. But, I mean, listen, action movies are, are really just porn movies. You know, yeah. there's like you're, the dialogue exists to get you to the next sex scene, and then the same as yeah. an action movie, the dialogue exists to, next, to get you to the next uh, action scene. That's really what it is. But you can't say that in the Dark Knight. No, you just can't. The action scenes are. I, I don't know. It's, sometimes people say, "Well, they're more organic," and I was like, "What does that mean?" Well, I get what it means. It's because. They're not setting you up for the action scene. You almost don't see it coming. It's just sort of like, oh, we better react to this now, and Batman's reacting. I, I always thought one of the coolest scenes in that movie was when they invade that um, benefit, and oh, he sneaks yeah. off, and one guy goes to attack Bruce Wayne. He just <laughs> backhands him and dismantled his gun and just keeps on walking. Like, right. Yes, this that's Batman. I mean, you had so many that's you Batman can, moments, but yeah. you're like, yep, there's Batman again. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah there's Batman, Batman moment, not even in the costume. Yeah. You know. Oh, I love those kind of moments. Like oh, yeah. Batman's not yeah. in the costume. Um, like, it, it was, especially in the comics, I mean, it was, there was, uh, one of my favorites is when he was in prison and people went to attack Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne's like, fine, come on in. <laughs> and you're like, oh, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, um, it's one of those movies that, I mean, I haven't seen it in so long. 
um, just because well, it's like a three-hour movie. And it's not one. I know it's always on TNT. Right. It's like it's like the new Shawshank Redemption. Like after Shawshank Redemption came out and it, it was it's, its rights went to TV, that thing was on like constantly. Like the Seinfeld of movies now mm-hmm. that it's just constantly on. You can't just sit and watch like 10 minutes of that thing. I can't. I mean, no. I mean, it's just like I, if I'm like towards the end, I'm like, oh, I can't do that. If I'm in the middle, I'm like, oh, if I'm going to start here, i got to make sure I'm cleared for the next two hours. But I already missed this. I mean, no, I can't do it. Um, it's just, I mean, you talk about. The because middle. the story's so important in that. Oh, it, it's, it's. Oh, yeah. It's, I, it's one of those things that. We're gonna ten years more. We're gonna talk about how great that thing is, and it's not going to lose. It's one of those you know it's gonna hold up just fine. Um, and it, I mean, it, it's still to this day. If you want to talk about quality and, and what's the best superhero movie, I mean, Marvel can produce another forty of those movies, and they might still be reaching for the Dark Knight, right? Uh, in terms of quality and just how everything came together. So, I don't know, man. That is who I, I never never thought that we would get a movie like that. No, and no. <laughs> the way DC's going, we're not coming anywhere close to that anytime <laughs> yeah, soon. Yeah, enjoy your last truly great Batman film <laughs> for yep. a good long while. At least we got that one, right? All right, guys, one more thing to do tonight here before we uh, bow out for at least the next couple of weeks. And uh, it's time for my favorite segment of the podcast, as it always shall be, irregardless of who is uh, on this the retroactive review, and this month um, I had a bunch of different options. I wanted, to, I was really getting ready to do that Teen Titans, and then I, and then the F bomb hit, and uh, I kind of felt like, okay, I need to take a step back, and I need to do this when it really matters. And uh, so I, I went with 1990, 1992's Challengers of the Unknown. All right, a little bit of comic book trivia. Who? Batman. Created. Bob Kane. Bob Kane would be incorrect. Who created for DC Challengers of the Unknown? Jack Kirby. You are correct. I didn't know that. You are correct. You did know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Obviously. Um, (laughs) Now, here's the thing. I did a lot of research for this. Yes. um, Mr. Jacob Kurtzberg uh, did this. That's Jack Kirby's real name. And this is, I didn't realize that he actually worked for DC before Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, before Marvel? Oh, yeah. He works, because this, the first appearance of the Challengers of the Unknown is DC, DC Showcase number 6, 1957. So that's obviously way before Marvel. It's about a decade or so before Marvel. And this is the sole creation of Jack Kirby, though I should point out that a lot of times um, he and Joe Simon just threw ideas back and forth, and between the two of them, they were such a pair. They didn't really bother with like who got credit for what. They just knew that, uh, you know, they were they were pretty good buds. Um, you know, Jack Kirby also rendered, wrote under names um, Jack Curtis as well when he was using some pen names. He created Tim, which flagship Marvel character in conjunction with Joe Simon. I assume you know this. Jack, Captain America. You are correct. 
He created Captain America. He, he had a blank stare in his face. He's nodding his head now, but he didn't. Know. No, I knew. I literally <laughs> just I literally just saw that stuff at that Marvel exhibit when I was in Seattle. So yeah, he wanted to let me answer yeah, since he, he got the, the first he one. He asked you directly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so he he created Captain America for Timely Comics, and we can run down the list of Jack Kirby creations. But I have gotten to the belief here. It, um, there needs to be at some point we need to do a Jack Kirby special. More and more, I this is this is the face of the comic book Mount Rushmore because there's a comic book Mount Rushmore, and then there's Jack Kirby. Really, if you think about it, everything this guy's you know he's 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 done. It's just it blows my mind. Um, so anyway, to, before we get to challenges of the unknown, I I couldn't help myself once I realized that Jack Kirby wrote for DC before he goes to Marvel. I kind of feel like, you know, especially since doing this podcast, I feel like I'm a pretty uh, knowledgeable comic book fan, and that fact alone escaped me. So he joins the Lincoln Newspaper Syndicate and works on comics in 1936. That's his first shot at comics. He actually worked at Fleischer Studios. He was uh, writing. Uh, he was he was working on some like he was working on Popeye essentially uh, for Fleischer Studios, and then he he did not like that because he 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 basically likened it to being a, a manufacturing artwork, which he didn't like. He then enters a publishing drawing, um, nondescript comics for Wild Boy magazine, including adapting Alexander Dumas's The Count of Monte Cristo for newspaper strips. Moves to Fox Features Syndicate in 1940, now a division of Disney, um, and alongside <laughs> Joe Simon creates... Which DC character for Fox Features Syndicates in 1940, he creates which DC character that has been a fixture in the DC universe ever since and has played a major role in the Teen Titans and Young Justice series? Deathstroke? No. Is it one of the Teen Titans? It is. Cyborg? No. Starfire? Boy? Mm -mm. Nope. Raven? No. Firestar? Mm-mm. Really big time role in Young Justice. Superboy. <laughs> I didn't see Young Justice, so I don't know. Um, Megan, the no Green Lantern. <laughs> nah, no, uh, Black Canary. No, you're keep you going down the color <laughs> scheme here. You'll get there eventually. Oh, Red that's Hood. <laughs> oh, um, Speedy. No, right? I, I tell him to use colors, and he, he gives me <laughs> Speedy. <laughs> Blue Beetle? That's it. Ha! Blue Beetle. <laughs> I win. He creates Blue Beetle. Um, after that, he heads to Fawcett Comics and draws the premiere issue of Captain Marvel. Now, at this point, known as Shazam. Shazam had actually been introduced in some earlier collected works, but he gets to draw Shazam number one. Um, he then heads to Timely Comics and creates Captain America with Joe Simon, so we're now caught up. As we know, Captain America becomes a monster success, but leaves Timely after a percentage dispute. He and Simon leave at the end of Captain America number 10. So he goes 10 issues before he um, leaves Captain America, leaving behind editorial assistant Stanley Martin Lieber, better known as? Stanley. Stanley. Kirby and Simon wind up at National and create Boy Commandos. National comics would eventually become DC. Kirby is drafted into World War II and serves as a scout assigned to reconnaissance 
or to draw reconnaissance maps ahead of his platoon. Yikes! So he would be sent ahead of a, pl a platoon on his own and draw the maps by himself and then come back and give them the maps. Wow. Kirby finds his way to Omaha Beach in Normandy not long after D-Day. Um, following the war, Kirby reunites with Simon at Harvey Comics. Having lost the rights to the Boy Commandos, he and Simon create the Boy Explorers. And it's a massive hit. The team then moved to Hillman Periodicals, Crestwood Publications, McFadden Publications, writing a series of romance novels that are majorly successful. He then goes on to create The Fighting American as a parody of their creation, Captain America, which had been relaunched by Timely Comics following the war. Timely Comics becomes Atlas Comics, which becomes what? Leads into Marvel. That's correct. It leads into Marvel Comics. Very good, Mr. Phil. Um, you know it all. Marvel stuff I'm good with. Yeah, DC, and then uh, from that point on, he then finds his way into Marvel, and, you know, as you can say, the rest is history. Now, we talked in the podcast, I believe it was last month, a little bit about what might have gone down at Marvel as to why he leaves, because he does leave Marvel and goes on to DC. In fact, and I have to look at these dates. Uh, I haven't had a chance. It, it, it All told, he spends about as much time at DC as he does Marvel uh, throughout his career. Um he essentially ended up in a pay dispute. Now, I don't know, given the research I've done, and I did consult multiple sources for this, but since my research is incomplete at this point, I don't want to say anything. There's some that it seemed to imply that the, the dispute was with Stan Lee. Yes. But there's nothing saying that that's what went down. Um... But I think it's widely accepted that he and Stanley have a falling out. Do you have anything from, on this? From the research that I've done in the past, it seems that, and again, this is all, it's all hearsay. It's all hearsay. Like, there's no definitive answer. Um, I actually follow Jack Kirby's, I think it's his grandson on, uh, on, uh, t on Twitter, and he frequently says, like, little things here and there, but... Um, it seemed like there's some sort of creative dispute between Stan and Jack of um, Stan Lee was taking lead creative credit for all the creations and therefore retaining more of the, the, the financial um, benefits of that. And Jack Kirby was getting paid pennies on the dollar for his the stuff he was creating and drawing and um the dispute came down to basically i'm not getting the credit i deserve you i should f similar to the king finger thing um in which it, it just didn't get resolved again that's all hearsay there's no definitive jack kirby left because him and stanley were fighting over money or they're fighting over creative control but it, it seems like it's something along those lines, and it seems realistic. Now, this is something that Stanley has been accused of in the past, too. Am I right? Correct. You know, it's one of those things that you, know, you still want to believe it, but it's business, and if I mean, mm -hmm. it went down, and I don't know. I mean, you don't get that successful without stepping on a few hands or toes, as it, as it were. But here again, uh, that this is not to imply anything because uh, there doesn't seem to be any concrete evidence as to what went down. Um, 
So anyway, that leads us to the Challengers of the Unknown. It's just another one of his creations, and it was mildly successful. It lasted about it lasted about seventy some issues before it went under. Um, it lasted. It lasted in from the fifties until about the early seventies, and then it it sort of went. January nineteen seventy one is about when the last couple of issues are are um, printed and then it disappears um but then somehow it, it is revived very shortly in the mid 70s and it's the the team is comprised of traditionally a roster of four ace morgan professor haley or they call him prop haley rocky davis and red riot um the professor is sort of the brain of the group uh red is more the strong like athletic will do uh anything scientist and um they essentially just sort of take on they're exactly what they say they are. they're the challengers of the unknown we're going to look into uh what made this pentagon um magical we're gonna go there's an hourglass logo here what's this thing about the bermuda bermuda triangle um they end up having a base of operations which is called challenger mountain so they build a mountain and then challengerville ends up being formed around challenger mountain so there's a town that's dedicated to them um there's so much going on here now what i ended up reading for the challengers of the unknown was nothing from the original run but it was the 1992 revival um which is notable for being the very first collaboration between which two that we are very fond of that should be a real layup for you which team are we? Loeb Sale? Yeah. This is the very first collaboration between Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Um, now, Jeff Loeb at the time was primarily a screenwriter. And to give you a hint of, you know, what it's like back then, which I, from what I understand is very much like now, if you want to write comics, he was a screenwriter having written among, most notably, um, he's the writer on Predator. Um, or was it Commando? I just had that in front of me. It was one of the two. But he had... He had uh, he had achieved a, a pretty good amount of success. So he writes in the Challengers of the Unknown Forward that he lets it be known that he's very interested in working in comics. He's a fan of comics, and he gets an invite to D.C., and he's really excited. He goes, oh, great, I'm going to walk in there. I'm going to tell him what I'm going to do with Batman. This is going to be fantastic. And they sort of prevent him, or present him with what is available for him to write, and he gives a list and on there. There's, he's Batman or Superman or nowhere on there. He goes, Aquaman and the Flash aren't even on there. So they're testing me out, and I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, and, I, and as soon as it happened, I felt a little bit silly. I'm like, who the heck am I? I'm just going to walk into their offices, and all of a sudden I think I'm this big, hotshot Hollywood writer. So he goes, great, let me take a look at the list, and I'll see what I come up with. So he, he chooses Challengers of the Unknown. Um, and he even says that he wanted to present DC with Batman Goes on Trial. Like, they try to make him um, culpable for some of his actions. And uh, he's like, okay, not going to do that because I feel silly. So he ends up appropriating a lot of that story into the Challengers of the Unknown. So if you want to read the Challengers of the Unknown and you're interested in this group of four men, and there's a woman, too, um, named June, she... If you... This is not where you go. The 1992 revival with Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale is not where you go because immediately... Prof and June are killed in an explosion at Challenger Mountain. So it leaves... Spoilers! Oh, well, man! Well, this is like page <laughs> one, okay? 
So that leaves Ace, Rocky, and Red to kind of fend for themselves. And they splinter. They splinter. They go off and they do their own thing. They're, they're, they're doing horribly without each other. And then they realize that something had gone wrong on Challenger Mountain, that it was, it was sabotage. And the thing is, when the Challenger Mountain blew it up, blew up, it, there was a lot of injuries and some deaths in Challengerville, so they get sued. And their lawyer subpoenas Superman to come to their defense. And Superman comes to their defense, but the, but the uh, Challengers of the Unknown, they are unaware that Superman had been subpoenaed. They think that Superman's there to defend them because they did so much good. And there's a really, really cool scene right in the middle where Superman's taking the stand and he's uh, he says all these these guys, here's all the things they've done. Um, God knows how many times they've saved the planet. And he kind of talks about his own experiences. And I've never seen this from Superman in a comic um, where they go back to whatever room and they catch up with Superman. They're like, hey, man, thanks for coming to our defense. And he turns around and he goes, don't talk to me. I am here because your lawyer subpoenaed me. And if I stand for truth, justice, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, then I had to be here. But what you're doing sets a terrible precedent because what's going to happen now is if I go out and I have to save a 1,000 people, but there are a few casualties, they're going to haul my butt into the courtroom now? No, no, no. Don't you thank me. And he just takes off. You're like, whoa. That is not what you're used to seeing out of Superman, right? Out of the Superman comic. From there, the group splinters further. And the writing in this is fantastic because one guy doubles down in his research into the occult. Um, another guy becomes a movie star. And the other guy becomes a gun for hire. But they somehow manage to find their way back. And I don't want to get into two spoilers. That's not what I'm doing here. But I don't know. This is kind of the thing I really like reading about. We do a lot of retroactive reviews, and when we first started this podcast, it was more along the lines of, man, oh, man, I really loved storyline A. I can't wait to reread that. But then you start to realize, especially now, so much of this is so much more accessible to us. Mm -hmm. Like, we can jump on eBay. Like, I have – I read Teen Titan comics when I was a kid like crazy. Didn't have any of them remaining. But I went and found them all. And honestly, I had like the first 40 issues, which I'm really ex excited to um, to do the retro review of this. I have all those 40 issues, and it's probably less than 50 bucks that I managed to acquire those over the oh, course yeah. of time. And by the way, a lot of that money is tied to one issue, issue two, Appearance of Deathstroke, first one. That's how that, that's how that works. Yeah, but um, I mean, it, this is something that – do you need to read Challenges of the Unknown? I don't know. Probably not. I just thought, like, oh, I'm a big Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale fan. Never read Challengers of the Unknown. Found it on eBay. All eight issues for, like, four bucks. Free shipping. I'm like, why not, man? I'll read Challengers of the Unknown. That's what's kind of cool about this right now. Yeah. I mean, we get to pick and choose. Like, back then, there was no way I was going to read Challengers of the Unknown because I don't know if I was sophisticated enough to go and, I want to try this. It doesn't have uh, an S logo or a Bat logo or a Spider logo on it. But I want to try it anyway. But then, you know, having grown an affinity for the storytelling sensibilities of Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, I couldn't help but dive into this one. And it's kind of cool that I did because, I mean, I'm not going to qualify myself as a huge Jack Kirby fan, but it's kind of like, you know, I'm not a huge Mickey Mantle fan, but I know who he is because I'm a baseball fan. 
yeah. he didn't play for my team it's a little bit of roundabout way but how do you want to not know like there's a documentary coming out about mickey mantle <laughs> yeah i'm interested it's mickey mantle it's the mick or how about joe dimaggio it's the yankee clipper i mean i'm not i hate the yankees but it's the Yankee Clipper, man. I gotta know more about him. So when you're talking about like I grew up on Batman, Superman, I, I, of course I read Marvel comics. I know who Jack Kirby is, but I had no clue that he was responsible for Challengers of the Unknown. And then I had no clue that he worked for DC way before he worked for Marvel. Heck, he worked for Marvel twice before he worked for Marvel. And when it was timely in Atlas, he got basically left both times. So it's, it's funny. He's actually left Marvel, if you look at it, like five times. Like yeah. He left Timely twice. He left Atlas. He left Marvel twice. Um, I was also interested to know, legendary Jack Kirby work. Perhaps his most legendary – well, that's not, that's terrible for me, thing for me to say. That's not true at all. But The New Gods, total failure financially. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. But Darkseid's in there. Created Darkseid. Created Apocalypse ramifications since that storyline ever since then man so although it was not financially successful boy oh boy that basically gave the dc universe justice league movie half their villains <laughs> yeah right oh man so i mean this is kind of fun for me like i i, I you know it's funny when i when i sat down and i read challengers of the unknown and i read it's only eight issues 1992 I really had no idea what my angle was to write this review. I was like, okay, this is good, but what am I going to write about it? I mean, I'm going to write about Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, but gosh, we've talked about them on the podcast so many times at this point and presumably will again. And then I find out something like Jack Kirby actually created this for DC. It's really fun to kind of read about this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, hey, this, this, so I don't know. You know what? I'm not going to recommend reading Challengers of the Unknown, at least not the 1992 revival. It's quite good. It's really good. It's mm-hmm. good storytelling. The artwork, you're going to see that uh, I don't know if it's the inker or Tim Sale isn't quite there yet. You, you, you're you going to love it. Um, ah. um, but it, it, it's, it's a little jarring at times. But what I will recommend is going back and, you know, checking out some of the old Jack Kirby stuff. Like, if you were to have to recommend me, maybe I should turn this over to you. Like, give me something, Jack Kirby, to recommend right now. Oh, man. Some of the, like, original, like, Fantastic Four stuff with Galactus and uh, Silver Surfer. That's probably the best, like, Kirby, like, most memorable Kirby artwork that you could pull. Uh, I can't think of, like, an issue off the top of my head. Okay. But I seriously, like, Fantastic Four. A lot of that stuff. Um and anytime, anytime there is any like space stuff, um, in the, I can't, I don't even know the exact years. Come back to me. Well, it'd be I, in I'll the sixties, like, yeah, right? Yeah, I'd have like specific issues, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Just mush at this point. You asked me too many questions tonight <laughs> that I knew <laughs> the answers to. Well, yeah, you did well. I know it's not my normal, so can't recommend it, but it is good. It's very good. Um, I just, for me, I thought this was going to be the entry point. Mm-hmm. And I knew there was the Challengers of the Unknown series prior to this. I knew it was a revival. Um, it, like I said, it, this is not in a situation where I was with the Star Wars comics where I'm not recommending it. Like in, in point of fact, stay far, far away. Mm-hmm. A galaxy far, far away if you need to. Um, 
But I don't know. It, it's it's kind of like Suicide Squad when I did the retro review for that. You got to know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. The Suicide Squad was a deep, deep dive because I have the first, what, 12 to 18 of those. They're really good. But you're deep diving the DC universe. I mean, you have to have – you can't just go into that cold. Like, uh, I mean, uh, our relationship with Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and stuff like that, we, we can fill in some of the blanks. But if you're, you can't go into one of these cold, there's no way. All right. Well, thank you, Darren. That was a lot of history that I was not expecting. Well, in. neither was I. Yeah. That's good. You, you got anything else there, Tim? <laughs> Absolutely No? <not. laughs> well, I guess that's all for this month. Uh Remember, as always, you can follow us on Instagram. Um, we are at Panel Scanners there. Uh, you can also look up Panel Scanners Podcast on Facebook. There is an active account there as well. Uh, I generally run those and try to keep it as updated as possible. Anytime new episodes drop, that type of thing. Um, next, next month, uh, we will be... Hopefully having a little bit of reactions to the Spider-Man PS4 game. I'm really kind of excited to hear what you guys have to say about that. Yeah, it should be fun. And a retroactive review from our good friend Tim, who normally doesn't read comics. Oh, I'm going to have to read something? <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Yeah, fine. More, we fine. joke around a lot, but this man has more information on comics in his brain than us together. Yeah, not true. I don't um, know. And you know, the other thing we're going to talk about is some of our favorite characters that perhaps are not quite in theme with the comic book superheroes or Star Wars or Star Trek that mm-hmm. we've read about. That gives us an opportunity. If there's something that we really, really enjoy, but it doesn't like, quite fit in with what we talk about on a podcast, this is going to give us a little bit of an opportunity to talk about a little something. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So until next time, enjoy your comics. <laughs>